Benji Hyam worked as an in-house marketer for a few different companies in San Francisco for a few years. Mostly, he was bringing the content marketing discipline to startups in the Valley who hadn't figured out how to make it work yet. Instead, they were still just dumping a bunch of money into paid ads. Along the way, he looked for some help, evaluated a few agencies, but none of them wanted to be held accountable to the metrics that he was held to. They were all focused on output, as in, we'll write this many blog posts for you for this much money. As Benji puts it, they were just glorified writing services. After Benji built and sold Wordable, he started a blog called Grow and Convert. It was all about everything he knew and learned over the years about content marketing. This blog ended up becoming the foundation for the content marketing agency he now runs by the same name. The key differentiator? They're outcome-driven. No set deliverables, only set outcomes around specific goals and metrics. Their proven framework handles everything else. Here's how and why some of the biggest names in SaaS are coming to Benji's team for help with content. This is Ground Up. It's a podcast about growth, except without all the numbers. Here, we tell the stories of everything behind the numbers, the ideas, the habits, the discipline, and also the personal and professional growth of some of the smartest marketers and business owners that we know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. The blog started 2015. The agency didn't start until November or no, June of 2017. So the agency is only about two and a half years. And so that the whole period in between was just us iterating, trying to figure out what we were going to actually make money doing. I see a trend with you, which is you start out in the blog first and the business follows. Got to start with your strengths, you know? Right. Uh, well, so, okay. So then before, before we really go full deep into grow and convert, which is the agency, yeah. Uh, a lot of listeners might know the tool Wordable, which is obviously a tool that makes it really easy to export your blog posts or content from Google Docs right into WordPress, something like our, our team actually uses every single week. But that was a, a tool that you built, right? And that started as, surprise, a blog as well, right? Can you walk us through just how that all started, the story you were telling me about your, your boss at the time, and just really how you evolved a blog audience um, and, and found a way to monetize it. Yeah. I think the core philosophy in us creating anything is anything that we've done in our business has just been to solve a problem that we have. Right. Um, and wordable came about the same way. So I, I guess to rewind all the way back to just starting grow and convert, grow and convert started as just a blog away for, um, it started with me, and then I convinced Davis, my, my business partner, to join me on it. So we, we had met at a marketing dinner in San Francisco. He had another um, agency that he was working on uh, that does CRO. And so at the time, he was trying to basically build the agency through content marketing. And we got in this huge debate at dinner about whether content could attract one high value contracts and to hire people in the company like VPs and and C-level type people. So he was under the impression that it couldn't because he had been doing it for a while and wasn't really getting any leads. And I just told him he was doing it wrong, like the wrong way. (laughs) So, well, that, um, that is an age old, yeah, that content doesn't influence enterprise companies or, you know, the further up the executive ladder you go. Yeah. So, uh, fast forward a few weeks, I, I just decided I wanted to 
to start a blog to share my own learnings just throughout my mm. career doing content. So I had done, uh, I had run marketing for two different startups in San Francisco, and the way that I was growing both of them was through content, uh, mainly as the main channel. Obviously, we did a lot of other stuff as well. Sure. Um, but I just kind of wanted to share my learnings, and that being that as I talked to other marketers in Silicon Valley, most of them hadn't really figured out content, or if they were doing it, they weren't able to to see results from it. And so kind of just that's when I latched on to this would be an interesting problem to start writing about, just what I had done in some of those companies. Um, so yeah, we, I just started writing articles on the blog as just a way to share my own learnings and just as, as an outlet for me. Um, and about three months after we started the blog, I think we only had 3,000 visitors on our website at the time. But that just gave me enough confidence to, to quit my job. And I, mo I moved to Bali. And so at that point in time, we had a goal that we were trying to grow the, the site to 40,000 uh, monthly visitors in six months. Uh, and the idea was just if we grow our audience enough, we'll figure out a product to sell down the road. And as we started trying to scale uh, content production, uh, this is when I was in Bali, one, we, we accepted our first guest post on our website, and as I went to go get it into WordPress, <laughs> with extremely slow internet being in Bali, it took like four or five hours to, to download all the images, to format the headings, the text, and, right, yeah. and all that stuff. And I was just like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I started searching different plugins, and all of them were outdated. None of them had worked. And so I, I remember calling Davis from Bali and I was just like, I finally got the post into WordPress, but it literally took me amount, about the same amount of time that it would take me to write to a write blog the post, damn post on our <laughs> So I was just like, this doesn't make any sense. Should we even do guest posting anymore? And so he had, he basically took that and was talking to one of his friends who happens to be a developer. And he just built the, the first version of Word, uh, Wordable, I think in a weekend. And I remember he sent it over and I didn't even know this was happening in the background and I tested it for the first time and I'm like, wow, this is the best thing that I've ever seen. I was, I was like, did he really just build this? I was like, and he just built it for us as a tool to use internally. And I, and I was like, I, I bet you this would be very valuable if we actually turn this into a product. And so that's kind of what happened. That was, that was pretty much the origin story of Wordable. Of Wordable, right. And then, um, so Grow and Convert started in a similar fashion. So that was just a blog that you were kind of running on the side? Yeah, so so Wordable came about from us trying to publish on uh, Grow and Convert. So when we we got to the point where I think we got t to 24,000 monthly visitors in four and a half months. At the time, I was living in Asia. I, I didn't have an income source. Um, and so... I just decided, you know what, screw the 40,000 number. There was no actual reason behind 40,000 right. other than 35,000 in six months was um, just like a previous uh, record that I had hit at right. the first company that I worked for in San Francisco. And so I said, we got we to gotta switch to figuring out how to make money at this point because otherwise I'm going to run out of money and <laughs> then I won't be able to work out on anything. And so the first thing that we started was a... Uh, phone course where we taught people what we were doing uh, on our blog to grow so quickly. And so I think we sold all 10 seats that we had opened up in in like a week period. So that went well. 
but after going through the whole course over a period of eight weeks, it just took so much time and we were talking to people all over the world. And so I was waking up at weird times and we we're just like, eh, this isn't really scalable. Then when I came back to San Francisco, uh, we had the idea to do workshops with companies and teaching them uh, what we were doing on the content marketing side too. And I think we sold three or four of those. And again, it just wasn't scalable. There wasn't enough demand there. We had some interest, but that was kind of how we started building the process because mm-hmm. we were we were trying to figure out what we were doing to grow so quickly. So it forced us to to kind of start thinking about our process around content marketing. And then we just decided to do a online course because we thought that would scale. Uh, and so we had already done the phone course, the in-person workshop, and we had all this feedback and material and people loved the content, And but we just wanted something that would eventually scale. Uh, we launched the course, this was now April of 2017, I believe, and nine people bought. And so it was a horrible flop. Uh, and we spent <laughs> months working on it. But the interesting thing that came from that was we had positioned the course as basically buy this as a way to train your team how to do content marketing. Right. Um, because that was who we were selling to in the workshops. We were going into selling to the VP of marketing or uh, VP of content, something like that. And and then when people saw the landing page, we kept getting emails and saying, oh, this looks great. Like I've been waiting for this kind of material the whole time. But instead of taking a course, I'd rather you guys just do this for me. And and so that was kind of how the agency came about. After it flopped, we were just we went back to the drawing board and we're like, this is really interesting. There's been a number of people that have asked out, asked us to just do content marketing for them. I was really against doing an agency, one, because I had started an agency in 2013 that I stopped doing after six months, and because I just felt like there weren't good agencies in the content marketing space at that time. And that came from my experience at the first startup that I had worked for in San Francisco. When I decided that we should do content marketing as one of the main growth channels, I, I originally thought I was going to go hire an agency. And when I started doing the research and talking to different agencies, uh, none of them were willing to hold themselves accountable to any of the metrics that I cared about as the head of marketing in a company. So they so were, they were they, more worried they, about like output, like we'll do yeah, X they, amount of posts. Exactly. Right. It, was, it, right. was, it was basically just glorified writing services when you started to sure. dig in. So yeah. you're, they're like, yeah, we'll do eight blog posts a month at 8,000 a month. And you're like, okay, well, what kind of traffic am I going to get for that? Oh, well we'll tweet it out on your social media accounts and like share on Facebook. We'll write a couple of social media updates for you. And I was like, okay, so what traffic is that going to bring in? Oh, well, we don't do that kind of stuff. And so that, that actually informed a lot of the decision-making for when we decided to create the agency. The philosophy was, okay, if we're going to do the agency, we want to hold ourselves accountable to the same results that um, someone internally would want and, and align the goals and expectations. And so that was basically how we formed our agency was the idea that we were going to hold ourselves accountable to conversions as the primary metric and and traffic as the secondary metric because it aligns with what the person inside of the company actually cares about. So more outcome-driven, not output-driven, essentially. Exactly. exactly. That, that means you're more flexible, right? Because I think what happens too is a lot of agencies get locked into these deals that you just described eight blog posts a month, X amount of tweets. 
and it kind of handcuffs you from making changes to, hey, like this is working. We're going to double down on this or we need to increase conversion because it's like, well, we need to deliver these eight blog posts. We need to deliver yeah, these 12. Uh, to, like, Agreed. And then a lot of the agencies weren't even looking at, at the metrics. They sure, were just producing yeah. stuff. So in terms of the content strategy, how does the agency even know it's working? So that's that's a lot of the things that we were thinking about was just how do we how do we solve this problem? How do we solve this problem of one holding ourselves accountable to uh, real metrics and then and then like producing the content, the content strategy? So that was kind of what we were thinking about in the early days. So I would imagine recruiting and really bringing on all stars uh, in terms of content was important, right? Because if you're going to be outcome driven. You're going to need people that understand, like, aren't just good writers, right? They, they're not just good on the producing side. They, they understand what works in terms of acquisition. They understand what works in terms of conversion. So, like, talk about your approach there. When did you start recruiting and hiring? Like, did you stay small for a while until you had a few clients? Just talk through how you went about building the team. Yeah, my, my thought process has changed around this a lot over the years, but I'll, I'll go back to the very beginning. So, uh, we closed our first two clients the week after we launched the agency, and immediately we knew that we needed to hire. So the goal for us was we never wanted to be writing our, our the articles for clients. Um, so again, the way that I think about this, even in in-house as well, sure. if you're hiring a content marketer, the person should really be more of a marketer over a writer mm -hmm. because they need to be able to think about the strategy on the account or strategy in-house, how they're going to drive traffic to the article, measuring results. That I think those are the skills of a content marketer that's more needed. And then the writing function, you should build a team of freelance writers um, that can kind of execute on on the actual writing. Sure. And the strategy needs to come from whoever is leading the charge there. So the first thing that we did was we hired uh, writers. And so... Freelancer? Freelance writers? Free, yeah. Freelance writers. Uh, and initially, the hypothesis was that we needed to hire writers that had a lot of experience in the subject matter that we were going to be writing about. And I think that's just the common wisdom and the way that people approach it. Quickly, we realized, and expensive writers too. So we tested out people that were charging $600, $1,000 an article, um, thinking that experience and price would correlate right. to good outcomes. Mm -hmm. And we quickly realized that that wasn't the case. Um, so w since then, we've moved far away from um, people that have industry expertise and also very experienced. And we have focused uh, instead on journalists who can interview someone that has uh, subject matter expertise to write an article and fo focusing more on junior people in their career that we can train. And the reason behind that is because we have a very specific process that are or, or basically writing style and things that we're trying to achieve with every single piece of content. And we found that hiring people that had been quote unquote, like marketing bloggers mm -hmm. had all these bad habits that we didn't want to um, basically put in front of our, our clients or have them have them write like that. And so um, 
yeah, as we started going to, through some of those marketing bloggers and testing them out, right. they were just producing content that we weren't happy with. And so we ended up going the opposite route and just deciding to um, train people the way that we thought um, the writing should be done. And and yeah, going through that whole so process. So bring up people with the raw skills that can write and then just kind of bring them up in your system. The, yes, the, exactly. The, the marketing so, and conversion focused. Yeah, and, and that's a good point too that you just made. That can write. So we're not training people how to write. Right, right. They have to show, because that's very difficult. And we've tried doing that too. Like there's been times where we had people that were working with us for a year and we kept thinking that they were going to get better and better and better, but just some people's skill sets aren't, aren't a match. And so what we're now testing for is that they have the ability to write. There's like a few different criteria that we look for on the front end when we're recruiting people. And then we're just kind of trying to train them more on the style. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I actually put out like a semi-controversial LinkedIn post several months ago. I think you might've actually commented on it and it was along the lines of, uh, you know, hire, you know, hire great mar writers, teach them marketing. Don't yep. do the other way around. I feel like so many companies do the other way around. They hire marketers and they feel like, oh, they could just write. And uh, I just feel like it's it's years of reading and writing and reading and writing. And and even then you might, you still might not be a great writer, right? So, and there was there was a lot of people that were like, oh, I disagree. You can teach people to be great writers. Um, I haven't found that to be true. Yeah, We've tried. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is hard. It's not to say that it can't be done, but I agree sure. with you. It's sure. very difficult. Um, so talk about, uh, you know, in the agency world, sometimes you run into that issue where it's like agencies growth versus client growth. How have you struck that balance? You know, over the years, like how, how many resources do you devote to marketing for grow and convert? How much content are you producing for yourselves? Like, how do you strike that balance between agency growth and client growth? Yeah, great question. Uh, so all of the marketing for the agency is just done by Davis and I. So we don't really have any people on our team writing on our own site, doing anything like that. So right. uh, our whole business is driven from content marketing. So we've never done outbound sales or even any other marketing. Any paid nothing. ads? Or, no. Nothing. So everything has just come from our own grow and convert audience. And we have a steady stream of leads that come from that. On the client side and, and growing that we've definitely like our biggest constraint as as an agency is definitely our own operations so i've always been and davish as well has always been cautious about growing too quickly uh so taking on way more clients than we can handle before we have our processes in place mm -hmm. and so we'll go through periods of two to three months where we'll just completely shut down and stop taking clients and really just focus on process and operations. And especially after we've onboarded in a new batch of people, um, there we've found that there's typically like a four to six month period for that person to really get up to speed and start executing. Just like if you were to hire any employee at any company, right. there's usually a long period of ramp up before that person's effective. Sure. And this, it's the same thing here. Uh, in terms of what the process looks like, it actually is in line with what you just said. So everyone in our agency starts as a writer and we have them. So the, the process for actually bringing those people on is um, there's a test project. And so actually first there's a screening, there's a screening process where they, they submit samples. Mm -hmm. Then there's a test project. 
Then we test them on a real account doing one article. Then if they can pass that, we'll have them tested on multiple accounts. And then we typically try to find one match for that writer where they write consistently. Uh, and then if they pass all of those things and they're effective on that side, then there's another level in the agency that's more of like a content strategist where this person's now they can choose between working with other writers or writing all the content themselves right. and then learn and then we teach them the strategy portion. Uh, and so it, it's exactly what you say. Find great writers who who have that skill set and then train them on the marketing side. And that's kind of been uh, the process there. So where do you find where have you had good luck finding good writers? All over the place, to be honest. So the, the best ones have just been the ones that have read our content and reach out to us. So they already know the way that we're doing content marketing, our philosophy, a lot of that kind of stuff. And they reach out to us. Uh, we have published job postings on AngelList, uh, on Craigslist. The Craigslist we thought worked well in the beginning, but I don't know if really any of the candidates that have been sourced from that pool have ended up working out long term. Some of the AngelList ones have. And then really it's just people find us through podcasts like this or yeah. through guest blog posts or stuff like that and then reach out. And, and those are typically the best. I've had the best luck through just organic LinkedIn. Yep. I put a post up. All the writers, all the freelance writers that currently write for the Databox blog reached out to me on LinkedIn. Yep, exactly. And, so we, it, and we did paid, you know, we did paid stuff, you know, like through, through some of the job boards and we just had the best luck through there. Yeah, it ma- it makes sense to you because people are following your blog or they're reading your content right. and they, they want to end up doing stuff like you're already doing. And so I think there's more of an alignment there. Right, right, exactly. Um, so talk about like why clients, you said something interesting before, when you were kind of exploring what Grow and Convert can be, a lot of people just wanted you to do the work, right? However, your service offering essentially is like, you don't want to just do the work. That's the issue you were having when you worked for in you know, when you were an in-house marketer, right? You didn't want agencies that were just going to do the work. Um, you wanted to be more outcome-driven. So, how did you sort of match that service offering to what people were coming to you for? So, like, what did the first few customers like? Who were they, and why were they coming to you? And how did you sort of align that like outcome-first mentality with what they were coming to you for, which sounds like might have been. We just want somebody to do this for us. Yeah, it was that, but there was also a larger theme that, and, and I had been hearing this from a lot of other marketers too, uh, that just a lot of people were investing in content marketing. Very few people were measuring the results of their efforts or yeah. were able to measure it down to which or specific. Knew how to. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or knew how to, which blog posts were driving conversions. Uh, so that was one pain point that we kept hearing over and over again. Another one was they felt like the content that they were producing wasn't good enough, I, I guess. And so, the, and then the problem that we ended up identifying underneath that was that, especially in the B2B setting, if you think about your end goal is you're trying to attract someone with years of experience in the industry. So for example, we're tr- we're trying we need to be able to write for people who have years of experience in content marketing and the common solution is someone just hires a freelance writer, they give them a topic and they tell the writer to go 
write on this topic and the writer doesn't have any experience in this industry. So there was a subject matter level mismatch. So you were having a writer who knew very little or nothing about the industry trying to write for an expert in the industry. So immediately when the expert comes to the blog post, they can tell that this is written by someone who has no experience in, in their industry. And so the content wasn't resonating. And so that was a core problem that we ended up identifying. And then another problem was people didn't know anything about promotion. So they just didn't know how to drive traffic. And so the common just published way it and that was it. <laughs> publish it and that was it. It's, it's the, the sit and wait for Google to rank my yeah. content. <laughs> and so those were the core three problems that we kept seeing and hearing over and over again. And a lot of that had come from those previous iterations of the product. So we were talking to people, meeting with companies internally, looking at their analytics, uh, asking them questions about how they were doing content right now. And those kept being the core themes that came up over and over again. The writing was not educational. They didn't know how to drive traffic to articles and they didn't know how to measure the results and see if they were, if content was actually driving leads. Um, so the way that we solved that was now through our four step process. And so everything starts with uh, customer research. So it's four steps. Customer research is the foundation. Then it goes into content strategy and production, then promotion and then attribution uh, and analytics. And so that's the four step process. And that fourth piece is missing in so many, across so many agencies. That's huge. But even number one, so we actually found yeah, that true. Yeah. Num number one is the biggest challenge because one, a lot, like, I don't know why, but this, and, and it comes from my experience on the growth side of things, like running marketing for startups everything starts with the customer research. If you don't know your customers well enough, you don't know what channels to start approaching. You don't know why they're buying. It's, it's this fundamental, uh, fundamental understanding of who the customer is, why they're buying, why do they care about the product? What are the alternatives that they're weighing the decisions between? And so everything starts in our agency with that. And only once we have that understanding of who, who this person is that we're targeting, what their pain points are, why they're buying, what their alternatives are. Can we even come up with content ideas that then would attract that right customer and then can convince them to, to potentially sure. purchase the product? And so that was actually the fundamental part that almost everyone was missing, especially on the agency side, because oftentimes you'd hire an agency and they'd be like, oh, you guys are data box. You, you have something about analytics? Cool. We're going to go start writing about <laughs> analytics topics and yeah. we'll see you in a few months. And then you'd get these topics and you're like, what? This doesn't have anything to actually do with our product. So there was just a mismatch in terms of the topics that were being written about, just what information went in every single article. And th the piece that we found was missing was that customer research part. Right. And so that was a big focus. Then on the production side, um, so now knowing all this stuff about the customer, then we were able to produce uh, con content articles that went after the right topics because we had this fundamental understanding. And then to solve the, the writing problem, we decided it's best to interview a subject matter expert inside of the company, typically, or someone in the industry to get the subject matter expertise to go into every article. So that's how we then solved that problem. On the promotion side, 
initially we had done something called community content promotion. Yeah, you were big on that. Yeah, communities. We were big on. We were very big on. What that did that part. include? Just like Slack, Facebook groups. Yes. Place growth yeah. hackers, inbound.org, stuff like that. Yep. So the philosophy was someone has already done the work of building an audience that you're trying to get in front of. Right. Just in, instead of trying to build it yourself, just go to where those people already are. And so, yeah, you're right. So it was Reddit. It was LinkedIn groups, Facebook groups, Slack groups, anywhere where we could find where these people existed. And then it was like a very manual process. We'd go into these groups. We would start conversations, not not just promoting blog posts, but try to develop some clout in these groups. And then sure. over time, slowly share articles. And we drove a ton of traffic that way in the very beginning for all the clients that we had worked with. But then as we started to grow it became very unscalable to do across multiple clients and all the algorithms started to change to where groups became less important on Facebook and on Reddit and, and those, a lot of those platforms shifted to you um, wanting to do paid stuff and getting revenue through paid. So I think right. a lot of things changed for us. So then promotion then became for us, we kind of had to rethink our whole promotion process and what we were going to do there. And we ended up landing on Facebook ads as, as a short-term mechanism to drive growth uh, and then uh, SEO as a long-term mechanism. And so the active stuff that we do on the SEO side is, is more on the, li- the link building side to our articles. So I want to back up a sec too and talk yep. about when clients come to you and you, you know, you're the, uh, I, I love the outcome-driven approach. So how do you go about setting goals or setting expectations without sort of over-promising? Right, because it it's it, it's historically hard to kind of forecast like what these pieces of content are going to do, right? So, like, what's your approach to that? Yeah, hundred percent. That is that is difficult. So even even though we're conversion and traffic focused, hmm. it, like when a client comes to us and say, it's like the typical sales call would be, oh, so what kind of results can we get in the first three months? I mean, I don't know. It's a <laughs> it's a guessing game, you know. Every every single every single industry is going to be different in terms mm-hmm. of how, how much readership there is in terms of what topics that we go after and like there's so many unknowns in the beginning of an engagement um, so in terms of how we do goal setting with clients and the answer to this kind of stuff one we wrote a blog post that just kind of case studies three different clients in different industries and kind of just shows what the first few months look like and I think that really helps but really on a sales call what we'll do is we want to get the the company's um, average order value, and then how many leads they're getting per month inbound, typically, um, and then what their sales, um, either if they're a SaaS company, what their trial to to paid conversion rate is, or their sales to close rate is, and then we kind of just do some back of the envelope math in terms of how many leads do we need to generate per month to get the engagement to be profitable. Uh, and so that is the first success metric for us is profitable, right? Okay. Pro- pro- profitable. Because again, if we're aligning ourselves to what the company cares about, they don't want to be paying for some service where they're not seeing an ROI on it. That's just checking boxes, right? Yep. And so number the, the only goal that we care about is just getting the account to profitability. And so we, we would calculate based on all those metrics that we figured out how many leads per month we would need in order for the engagement to be profitable. And we usually even err on the more conservative side. So instead of taking lifetime value mm. into consideration, 
um, we're looking for just pure leads per month or pure closed deals per month that we would need to generate for the engagement to be profitable. And then from there, it's really just, can we keep scaling? And so there's no like month over month goal that we have. Cause it, again, there's so many fluctuations as you grow sure. anything in content right. marketing. So from there, we're really just competing against ourselves. It's almost like a game. Can we, can we beat ourselves every single month? And then can we beat ourselves every, every year? So and do you so communicate that? And so that profitability metric, it's going to be different for everybody, right? Do you communicate that with the client? Yeah. Hundred percent. So, you're, so yeah, so yeah, the accountability is there. Yeah. There's a set goal that we're trying to hit, so that the second that happens, they're usually bought in for the long term, and they're not going anywhere. I would say the only that like the only time we really lose accounts is in the first few months. Again, so it, it, right. it's usually there's this the, there's the six month period where as an agency you're investing a lot in the upfront. It's not like paid ads where you can turn it on and you're going to see immediate ROI. You're spending a lot in that first few months before you're starting to see compounding results and a big return. And so it's very critical that we communicate, one, that this this takes time and that we get buy-in from the client that they're willing to spend six months before they might start to see like a real return or sometimes a year. Um, but if we can get them to that, that lead per month number pretty quickly, they're usually not going anywhere. And so that's, that's the main goal is just, I I think that was historically something that we didn't do as well was communicating a lot of that stuff up front that we've really started to focus on recently, just making sure that they know what the profitability number is and then making sure that on every reporting call that we're communicating where we're at relative to that number and what we think we can do on the content strategy side and promotion side to get to get them there. How do you protect against scope creep in that environment? Because I think what uh, why a lot of agencies rely on that output model is because you can develop systems around it. It's predictable. Um, when you go the outcome route, you might have to do, you don't, you don't necessarily know where your resources might be devoted a month out because one client might be way ahead and you know not that you're letting your foot off the gas but you're good in that area whereas one client you might need to spend a lot more time and resources and now you're neglecting other accounts and it that just becomes a logistical nightmare so how do you protect against scope creep and still being able to service all your clients in a, you know in a predictable manner yeah one is there's no customization in our service so we have a, a productized service it's the same deliverables for every single client and there is no customization so on the operation side everything is predictable like we know exactly how many writers we'll need how many pieces we need to produce a month Uh, like everything is already set in stone and then there is a content strategist on every single account that is dedicated to that account and they don't the the i think the person one content strategist that's been with us the longest is managing three accounts and we typically won't go past that. So, and that's not even a full-time workload. I would say that's probably 70% full-time. So a lot of time is being spent just thinking of ideas, all that kind of stuff. We still, we're still very involved in every account as well. So we're still on brainstorming calls, just checking the ideas and pushing 
pushing the content strategists and in terms of their thinking around what ideas and even on the editing side, making sure that everything's included in there. So yeah, I would say that's kind of how we get around that is just, yeah, being very against customization because you're right that it is very easy for a client to say, oh, well, we want, we want all these articles updated or right. we want like all this link building help or we have specific publications that we want you guys to reach out to you or we want our articles shared on LinkedIn instead of Facebook. And so it's will, like, will you work that stuff in for a fee or, or no? No, we just stick to, to what we're good at. And so the, the process works and that's, yeah. that's what we're trying to convey to, to everyone that we work with is we came up with this process because we've tested a lot of different things and this is what we found works across everyone that we've worked with. And you're not going to distract from that. And right. Yeah, and we're not going to distract from that. So if you guys want to do it, by all means, do it. But it's probably better for you guys to do in-house or find another contractor who specializes in that one thing. Because, again, for us, too, like some of these things, it would be another learning curve. And it, it's not to say that we would be the best to do that kind of stuff anyways. Sure. And so I'd rather just have our team focus on what we know we're good at and execute on those things versus trying to add service offerings or make money in here and there. It, it just doesn't really make sense for us. It, it takes away from like the long-term goal. Do you have a specific uh, niche that, that you guys work within or are your clients kind of all over the map? Like, give us an idea. Can you share some of some of your clients with us? Yeah. Um, so we we have primarily SaaS companies that I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it spans both uh, self-service and like demo and, and sales-based, um, primarily on the B2B side. We have two marketing agencies that we do work with. Um, and so those are, and then one other service-based business. And so this, the probably the most interesting use case for us that we never thought would work is this company called Cognitive FX. Mm-hmm. Um, they're based out of Utah and they're a concussion treatment center that requires someone flying to their physical location to get concussion treatment. And so the reason that we didn't think that we'd be able to do it initially was one, we're competing against sites like WebMD, Healthline, the CDC (laughs) for a lot of the keyword terms. Two, again, it requires someone flying to a physical location. So we're like, "Eh, if we're producing content that is being distributed everywhere. It's a hell of a conversion, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, who's to say that that it's going to work? But that's... That's been one of our biggest success stories, actually, is um, that their monthly traffic has gone up every single month. Their their conversions, they had a goal, I believe, of getting 180 signups a month, and we're way past that already. And this is less than a year uh, into the engagement, and and we're we're outranking Healthline and and WebMD and a lot of those those sites just because of the process again. So we're, we're interviewing their doctors internally and getting their subject matter expertise on these, all these different concussion topics and just writing more in depth, better researched articles. And who performs that like, uh, interview is that the writers themselves or is that someone on your team? And then they sort of like give the writers, the the writers themselves. And so again, a key thing is just having a writer dedicated to the account as well, because then they can learn, they can learn the space over time. The longer they're there, just like if you were to work in-house somewhere, 
the longer you're working inside of the company, the better mm-hmm. you understand the company, the customers, all that kind of stuff. And so it's the same philosophy there. We have a content strategist who would start this process in the beginning, and then they might build their own like pod of dedicated writers who write for that account. So that the the content strategist is meant to have the most knowledge of anyone on the account because they they're working directly with the person on the other end. They get they're they're there for the customer research session. They're they're learning this over time, and then they can communicate that stuff and edit the the other writers' articles because they have the most knowledge on what needs to be done on the account. I see, like also Patreon, Crazy Egg, Lead Feeder, so th- definitely some brand names yep, that, yep, that y'all have worked with. Yep. Um, you had a great. Uh, we were communicating the other day through email, and you had a great uh, insight into when you first launched Grow and Convert four years ago now, or over four years ago. You thought you knew content marketing, right? You spent your whole career in it, developed a, a, a software tool uh, in that niche, but that you, you've learned a lot since then. So like, what is, what would you say is the biggest thing that um, you thought you knew going in, but like has totally changed now and like something that you know now that you really didn't know going in? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with just the, the mindset shift, I would say. Um, and then I'll and I'll go into a, a story to actually elaborate on that. Um, yeah, I, I think in terms of what I know now, I thought so. It, it's building a system that's that's that can be replicated across all different types of businesses. So I think that is that is the mindset shift. So I, I think coming from in-house, you have one strategy that works for a company. You can be very successful at one company with one strategy and approach. And then being forced to do content marketing across 15, 20 different businesses, that one strategy that worked inside of that <laughs> one company you work for might have horrible results at a different company. And so- That's gotta be really humbling too, because you're like, man, yeah. I, I thought I knew what I was doing. Exactly. And so that, that's what it that's what it was when we started the agency. We had grown our own site. I had worked inside of multiple different companies. But then being forced as an agency to deliver results across 15, 20 different clients and different, biz, uh, different business models, different price points, different yep. sales processes, your whole thinking about how to do this completely changes. And so... Yes, the the process that we used in the very beginning of our agency is completely different than where we're at now. And we're constantly learning and being forced to change our processes and and change the way that we do things. For an example, last year, we still had the community content promotion. Like December of 2018, that was the core way that we drove traffic until we realized it didn't work anymore. And it, it, it wasn't scaling. We weren't getting the results that we had in the beginning of the agency. And so we were forced to change the way that we think about solving that problem. And so, yeah, that's just one example. But I'll give you another example because I'm writing a post on this, uh, looking back on uh, our engagement with Leadfeeder. Um, Leadfeeder for us was probably the biggest learning experience of any account. Uh, they, they started with us in September of 2017, so I think three months after we started the agency. Back then, we had the mindset that, like, the the content strategy in the the very beginning for them was, um, let's produce top-of-funnel stories that would be interesting to marketers. 
just stuff that anyone would want to read, kind of like the thing you see on first round capital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just like really interesting stories about marketers that solve these unique problems and you go in depth, kind of like the stuff you see on our site, but instead of like all about content marketing, talking about different facets of marketing uh, because they're trying to attract marketers. Sure. Um, and so that was the approach for the first few months, started growing traffic pretty quickly. I think within the first two or three months, we were at 5,000, 8,000 visitors a month, They're starting to see some conversions. But then I remember this conversation, their CEO came on, on one of our reporting calls and he said, well, this is great, but like, how are you going to scale this long term? Like, you guys don't focus on SEO or anything like that. And and we we were kind of at the same time coming to the same conclusion, which is <laughs> now traffic, <what? laughs> traffic grows quickly, but then it when you do it, it that way, you kind of hit a ceiling after some point because you don't have an organic traffic base to build off over that compounds over time. And our thinking at the time was. If we just produce content and, and it's really good, it'll naturally build links because people like these stories and we'll end up ranking for some long tail keyword terms. And like over time, the traf- the SEO traffic will, will grow. But there was really no concerted effort around doing that. So we came back from that conversation. We're just like, we, and, and I think part of our hesitation has had to do with, I, I don't consider myself an SEO I, I consider myself more of a content marketer. There's sure. like this whole other realm of SEO and technical knowledge and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't want to portray ourselves as SEO experts because I knew there were people that were way more qualified than us to do that. And we didn't want to become just another SEO agency. Um, but we gave it a try. And so the, uh, the first post that we did for them was um, like a list post that was going after like a category keyword for them. And within the first three months, it ranked on page one and it started driving conversions for them. And we kind of just had this aha of, oh, maybe we should be doing this because it's easier. Like we're getting consistent traffic month over month and then it was easier to scale off of. And so then we started doing a couple more that went after different keywords and and we it, it started working. But then we had this aha once we looked inside of the analytics. They, they had posts that they were already ranking for that were driving something like 10,000 visitors a month on their website, but were yielding almost zero conversions. Um, and, and so we were trying to distinguish, well, what's the difference in these posts that are ranking that have a ton of traffic uh, volume versus the ones that are driving conversions? And... In doing that, that's kind of how we we landed up on our pain point SEO strategy. We realized that the biggest indicator of whether something was going to convert or not was the actual topic of the blog post and if it had purchase intent or not. And and we basically started doubling down on that approach over the last year and a half. Dive into that last piece. What does that mean if it has purchase intent or not? Yeah, so... This so we realize like one of the reasons that I was always against diving into the SEO world is because I, I felt like the way that people did SEO strategy was flawed. And what I mean is you would typical like SEO in-house that I had seen is is they would say, Oh, this keyword has a ton of volume. Let, let's go after that because 
in theory, more traffic means more conversions. And and someone's idea around how to get conversions from content was always, if we get traffic, we can figure out how to convert them later and and run A-B tests and figure out ways to increase the conversion rate of, of the blog post down the road. And both Davish and I, through different experiences, had tested this theory and kind of just realized it, it wasn't as easy as that. And so Davish has the story of, a client that he was working for on the CRO side, this blog post was getting 100,000 visitors a month and they ran all these sorts of tests on how to increase conversion rate there and just weren't able to see a significant lift. And I had done the same thing where I had certain blog posts on the website uh, for the first company that I had worked for, ThinkApps, that no matter what I tested, we just couldn't really increase the conversion rate. And what we realized was that the topic was very indicative of whether someone would convert or not. And so here, like, here's an example. Like in the context of our own agency, of course it would be valuable for us to rank for a term like content marketing that has 43,000 monthly visitors. Right. But, but the problem with that is you have no clue why someone is searching for that. And so is, is someone doing a research report on content marketing? Did they hear about the content marketing concept for the first time ever? And they're, they're looking at what that is versus if someone was searching for the term best content marketing agency, we know exactly right. <laughs> what their intent is behind that word. They're trying to find us the best content marketing agency out there. So it's the same thing that we use for all of our clients. We have to think about why would someone be searching for this potential keyword and does it lend itself to someone actually needing a solution? And so that is how we do our, our strategy. We, we throw volume out the window and say, we're, we want to focus on ranking for articles where we know the intent signals that someone is either ready to purchase or they're, they're weighing decisions. And so some frameworks around this strategy comparisons. So when someone's in buying stage, people are often comparing competing products and want to know the differences and which one's better for them. That's a framework that we use. Uh, category keywords. So again, through discovery, this works better on SaaS products than it does on service businesses. Right. But if someone's searching for like analytics tools, they might be a good, they might discover Databox and realize, oh, this product does everything that we need it to and they might not have found that otherwise and so we're focusing on keywords that show either someone is looking for a solution or someone is ready to purchase now and that's how we do our prioritization over just ranking for any keyword that has volume that's that, right yeah that and that was a fundamental shift in how we thought about content marketing and the aha and once we started using this process across every single account that we used, conversion numbers went up a ton. And what was really, really interesting is that even topics or keywords where we would go and search in every single SEO tool to see what the volume is, when stuff showed up and it showed zero volume, most people would think, oh, this is probably not worth our time. We should go after something with volume. But what was interesting is when we started tackling some of those keywords, we were seeing double-digit conversion numbers come from some of those topics that showed absolutely zero volume in any tool, yet, one, they had traffic volume, and two, they were just so bottom of the funnel and had 
you you just knew the intent of the person searching for it this converted really well yeah. that it converted really well you're you're seeing conversion rates of, of something between one and four percent on a blog post to a sign up which is crazy Norm, so don't would, sleep on the zero volume yeah don't sleep on the zero volume at all um that that's that's especially one of if it's high weapons. intent right high yeah intent. and one and, and one of the ways that you can you can determine whether it's worth going after or not is if you go into Google and you just run a suggested search for for the keyword and so you start typing it in and something auto corrects to the query and then you look in every single tool but it still shows zero volume that tells me something it means enough people are searching for whatever right. that query is that Google auto completes it it means there's definitely some volume behind that even if no tool is showing that right. and so that's that's been one of our secret weapons too and so actually going back to your thread about growing organic traffic and whether it led to conversions that's that was the the framework or the lens that I was viewing that through was because many many times marketers and companies mistake more traffic growth equals more conversions yeah but we've found more often than not that that's not true and the reason why is because if you go into your google analytics typically there's between one and five blog posts that are driving 80 percent of the search volume because you rank for these very high traffic tools or high traffic keywords but oftentimes those are not the highest converting posts because again as you as you target more head keywords inherently you're you're moving up the funnel so it, it's more of these research based keywords that everyone is searching for because it's it's almost like a concept or a category whereas a lot of the the lower volume and more have more purchase intent have the higher conversion rate and so that was that was just why i asked you that question about yeah the convert did that correlate to a higher conversion rate because that that's often the mistake that i see people make is they're just and if they're not measuring this kind of stuff <laughs> they're, they're like they're like oh 500,000 visitors a month this is great and then you actually look at the conversion numbers and it it, it, yeah, it doesn't we, correlate we up. have to we're an analytics company like we wouldn't keep investing in something if it didn't like if it wasn't correlating yeah um but listen i, I could keep geeking out on this all day the, the, this was awesome, man. Thank you for sharing so much about the agency and, and more importantly, like the frameworks that you're using. Like I said, I could geek out on this all day, but I, I think a lot of people are going to take a lot, not just agencies, but I think in-house marketers are going to take a lot from the approach that you all are using, how it's working. So thank you for sharing so much. Yeah, of course. Happy to. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.